Hello and welcome to the Decision Intelligence Podcast with Cassie Kozrakov. Here's a coronavirus-sponsored lesson in statistical bias, read for you by the author. Were 21% of New York City residents really infected with the novel coronavirus? It's time to learn about bias the hard way. The moment I saw Business Insider's headline, I knew it would be a perfect case study for a lesson about statistical bias. The headline read, A statewide antibody study estimates that 21% of New York City residents have had the coronavirus, Cuomo says. I couldn't have asked for a better one. What even is bias? Well, it depends where you're hearing the word. Different disciplines use it different ways, and I've made a tongue-in-cheek laundry list for your amusement, which you can catch in my article, What is AI Bias? In statistics, bias is all about systematic lopsidedness. And if lopsided results are misleading, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were born out of the intent to mislead. Perhaps they were, perhaps they weren't. Statistical bias can come about through negligence, ignorance, expediency, or shenanigans. Statisticians may use the word bias to refer to 1. Our technical definition, to be revealed in a moment. 2. Misadventures in randomization. 3. Skewed conclusions. Or 4. Any of the myriad other definitions. We'll look at our little case study from each of these overlapping perspectives. And before we get further, the point of this episode is to teach you about bias. It's more about the lesson than about current affairs. The headline is just a case study. Part 1. Great Expectations. First off, all hail Wikipedia. How is bias defined there? In statistics, bias is the difference between the expected value of an estimator and its estimate. That's awfully technical. So allow me to translate for you. What this is saying is that bias refers to results that are systematically off the mark. Think archery where your bow is sighted incorrectly. High bias doesn't mean you're shooting all over the place. That's called high variance. Instead, An otherwise perfect archer with a bias problem is going to aim at the center of the target and consistently hit the same spot off-center. Tightly clustered results that are systematically off the mark. Now the headline says that the study estimates 21% of New York City residents may have had the coronavirus. My guess is that this number is biased upwards. In other words, I personally suspect that the study overshot the mark. Why? Well, I smell the pungent odor of randomization issues, which brings me to statistical subdefinition number two. All right, part two, selection bias. A special way to trigger results that are systematically off the mark is to collect your data in a problematic manner. For statisticians who love having things to be grumpy about, selection bias is a cherished frenemy. It visits us so often. Selection bias occurs when different members of your population of interest have different probabilities of arriving in your sample. In other words, you're making conclusions from your sample as if it were drawn randomly, while it was drawn uh, randomly instead. If that's the case, your sample isn't representative of your population, which makes your conclusions untrustworthy. Now, if your population of interest is all New York City residents, then you don't have a random sample unless every single New York City resident has equal probability of being included. Is that requirement met by the New York antibody study? Definitely not. That study did not represent everyone equally. Before I even opened the article, I was thinking, yeah, right, what clever thing did they do to collect data from people who stay indoors? As it turns out, no clever thing. 
What's the probability of the study measured someone who is fully self-quarantined? Zero. How many New York City residents are keeping themselves entirely to themselves? We don't know. This type of selection bias is called undercoverage bias. Your sample cannot cover your population if some parts have no chance of being sampled. Want a pragmatic quick fix for undercoverage bias? Simply settle for a less ambitious population definition. Instead of trying to make inferences about all NYC residents, you could choose instead to talk about all NYC residents who go outside. Problem solved. Not quite. It gets worse. What if we have more interesting sampling biases at play? What if the non-zero probabilities are systematically messed up too? What if there's something special that made some outside goers more likely to be tested than others? Okay, let's see how the data were gathered. The study tested people at grocery stores and big box stores. Yeah, if you'd like to increase your probability of exposure, where do you go? To places with a higher density of people, like grocery and big box stores. Where was the study done? Yep. How about if you really, really, really want to get the virus? You might go to grocery and big box stores frequently, more frequently than someone who's trying to reduce their probability of infection. Of these two kinds of people, which kind of person would be more likely to test positive for antibodies? Which do you think would be more likely to be in the right place at the right time to participate in the study? Exactly. Hello, selection bias. In fact, the design of the study is a bingo sheet for the various breeds of selection bias, sampling bias, undercoverage bias, self-selection bias, convenience bias, volunteer bias, and others. Stay tuned for a follow-up article that takes you on a tour of those, plus tips for how to battle them. Now, biased archers have it easy. If you keep hitting the target below the center, at least you can see it and make adjustments. Researchers with selection bias aren't so lucky. Selection bias means all your results are wrong, and you don't know how wrong. Does that scare you? Does that scare you? It should scare you. All I can do is guess that the results are biased upwards by the sampling procedure, but there's no way to know what the real number is. But wait, there's more. It gets even worse. Part three, biased conclusions. What if unequal representation isn't the only thing messing with our ability to make sane conclusions? There's a whole cornucopia of other biases that might impair your statistical conclusions. For example, information bias occurs when measurements are systematically incorrect. What if the antibody tests themselves have problems that the researchers are unaware of? What if they only detect antibodies above a strict threshold to avoid false alarms? Then those tests will miss virus cases, so they'll bias the estimate downward. So we've got one source biasing it upwards, one source biasing it downwards, so with two forces pulling invisibly in different directions, is that 21% estimate too high or too low? Impossible to know. What do we know for sure? Some people at grocery and big box stores got an exciting readout from something that calls itself an antibody test. What do we know about NYC residents' actual exposure rate? This is the sound of me shrugging. Part four, reporting bias and confirmation bias. To be fair to Business Insider, I think they did a pretty good job of reporting. They even called the results preliminary and mentioned some of the same sampling issues I talked about. Kudos. These are some of the same properly cautious noises made by the governor of New York and the team who ran the study. I have no beef with them either. Instead, my complaint is with the broken telephone game that the rest of the internet is playing. Some people won't take time to read the entire article. Fine, I get it, you're busy. Instead of applying appropriate <laughs> lol did not read humility, some folks treat that title as if it's the whole story. 
when they share what they've <clears throat> learned with others, they'll be creating a textbook example of reporting bias. Reporting bias occurs when people come to a conclusion other than the one that they would have made, if given all the information their source had. Whenever people transmit only the extreme or juicy bits of information and leave behind the boring bits that weaken their conclusions, expect reporting bias. You'll find it wherever people have incentives to make pithy summaries of complicated things, like squeeze everything in a 280-character tweet, prevent readers' eyes from glazing over, for example, journalists editorializing scientific publications, persuade someone through trickery, for example, conveniently forgetting to mention studies that cast doubt on the arguments that you've been hoping to make, and feel better about their opinions, for example, when they're suffering from confirmation bias. Whatever the intent behind reporting bias, its presence decapitates the validity of your conclusions. Does everyone who's guilty of it know that they're doing it? Not if they've fallen prey to confirmation bias. Confirmation bias tampers with your ability to perceive, notice, and remember evidence that disagrees with your opinion. Now, bringing up this cognitive bias moves us from the realm of statistics to the jungle of psychology, so I'll be brief. Confirmation bias is a problem of perception, attention, and memory. To put it in the simplest terms, whether or not a piece of evidence sticks for you is influenced by the opinion you have beforehand. If you're not careful, you'll mostly notice and remember information that confirms what you already believe. If you can't see all sides of a story, you might not even know that you've only reported your favorite, infecting the people who trust you with falsehoods. Conclusion. Is the study worthless? I'm guessing there are plenty of folks who will wind up concluding unsupported nonsense thanks to this New York antibodies study. As usual, the least data literate readers will <clears throat> learn the most from it. Does this mean that the study is worthless? No, but it's only as good as the assumptions you'll make about it. Since there's very little that we know for sure from its data, the only way to make inferences beyond the facts is to bridge the gap with assumptions. That's all statistics is. Assumptions, not magic. Unfortunately, we're not all equally qualified to make good assumptions that lead to useful conclusions. For example, while I'm a statistician with plenty of real-world data collection experience, I'm not an expert in antibody tests, so you shouldn't trust me to make wise assumptions about their accuracy. Excellent. I don't trust me either. So I'll end up learning nothing about the virus exposure rate of New York City. The study is worthless in my hands. I can suspect whatever I like about selection bias causing an overestimate, but all I really know is that the results are probably wrong and we don't know how wrong. If you tell your friends that I said the number is below 21%, you've just shown us a prime, lovely demo of reporting bias. But when experts who've been studying viruses their whole lives team up with medical professionals and psychologists who are well-versed in the behavior of New Yorkers and join forces with those who know all the practical details of what actually happened during the development and deployment of those antibody tests to grocery stores, well, perhaps those folks are sitting pretty to make the assumptions that unlock the nutritional goodness of the tasty data collected. In their competent hands, the study might be very valuable indeed. So perhaps the rest of us should be quiet and let the grown-ups get on with their jobs. I'm Cassie Kozarkov, and this was a coronavirus-sponsored lesson in statistical bias, read for you by the author. If you had fun here, don't forget to share this episode with a friend. If you didn't have fun, share it with an enemy, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Decision Intelligence Podcast.